You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Mr. and Mrs. Kirk DeWint. <laughs> Good to see one of you. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. There's no paperwork been signed yet, but it's it's going to be in route. Doesn't matter. Kirk DeWint proposed to Jess Peterson this weekend and made it official. What we've all wanted for a while now. We all got it. what we wanted. And hopefully, you you guys got what you wanted too. <laughs> I got most importantly, to. we all got what we wanted. Oh shucks! Yes, yeah. I was. Uh, I proposed to Jess this weekend. We're engaged, which is very exciting. She uh, <clears throat> she's been. Um, we'll just say she conversates about it often with me, and I always knew that uh, I was going to. I just didn't know when. And then recently, it's felt like very much the right time, and so. In fact, I got the ring on Friday, and I, it was like a hot potato in my hand. And so I, less than 24 hours after holding the ring, I proposed to her because I was like, I, this is a ticking time bomb. So I did it right away. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Good for you. Yeah. I, I, this isn't about me, but same thing happened with me. I, we went out to Yellowstone, and I planned on – Spend the first week or two, because we're going to be out there for 13 days. So spend the first week or week and a half finding the perfect location and then do it. And I proposed on the morning of day two. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I just couldn't <laughs> hold on to that thing anymore. Plus, it's a lot of money to be sitting like in your truck or in your camper or in your pocket. You just got to get rid of it. It's true, man. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I've something. I don't know if I shared this with you. We back in and I, we talked yesterday, but um takes a special i think i knew it would take a special woman to cause me to slow down we will call it like i never envisioned i never envisioned a family or kids or marriage growing up you know how a lot of people when they're younger or as mm-hmm. they're as they're aging and like especially like your 20s and such like you start to envision those things and for me it was never forefront it was like career and selfish pursuits with athletics or my hobbies and things like that and it was never like I never laid around and daydreamt about getting married or having a family which is atypical and so I've always been pretty slow to commit we will say and I've been razzed about this my whole life and there's some irony there because a guy who went on reality tv dating shows uh you would think would be just jumping off the deep end of the pool towards this but it hasn't been my tendency and so uh Jess came along and has been the most like patient and just allowing me to do my process on my timeline without rushing things and I think that's what it took and so I got lucky and stumbled upon just an angelic human being who was tolerant of my knuckle dragging we will call it and so I would be a damn fool Bracken not to make sure to lock this thing up for eternity so I proposed to her out on the lake, um, which is interesting because you talked when we talked yesterday. Um, it's like, of course, proposing to somebody's going to be a surprise when all of a sudden you're doing it. But I didn't realize like mm-hmm. to pick that right moment to like go in and be like, I'm starting this right now. I'm going to propose was like incredibly nerve wracking. And we were out on the pontoon boat just kind of having an afternoon and the ring was in the little glove box in the pontoon next to me. And I just kept like waiting for the right time to be bestowed upon us. Like, Oh, now feels like the right time. And I realized like, no, this is going to be a sharp redirecting of the day, no matter what, there's no smooth transition to getting down on one knee and proposing. And so awkwardly enough, she was sitting on the uh, bench of the pontoon boat around one of the seats. And I got down on one knee out of the blue uh, and you know how it goes, babbled something, and I don't recall what it was. And stupid me, in hindsight, we both had frickin' mm-hmm. sunglasses on, so I couldn't even see her eyes. Frickin' idiot. Didn't think about that. Both of us did. So then halfway off, I, like, 
made sure to take the sunglasses off and then proposed. And so we were looking each other in the eye because she was just re relaxing on the pontoon seat. Like, so I was like, I was very formally on one knee and she was very like casually sitting on the pontoon seat, but it was perfect. Yeah. It was nice. And she said, yes. I'm sure all proposals are fundamentally awkward. You can't create a natural segue into proposing. And if you do, that's even more awkward. Lisa kept trying to help me up off the ground. We were on a slope heading down to a lake in, at Yellowstone Lake. And so it was a little like off camber and I knelt. She thought I was falling and I was shaking because I was so nervous. So she thought like something was going on. So she kept trying to help me up off the ground. <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to propose to you. I'm here on stop, purpose. Stop yanking on my arm. <laughs> and then, yeah. Do you fall often? So she didn't think that was any We're sort smooth of... men, oh, Kirk. Uh-huh. Do you, do you want to know the embarrassing thing is that I cried more than she did. Always. And it takes a lot for me to shed a tear. But after we got done with the kisses and the I love yous, we got to sit there and kind of cuddle on the pontoon. I got to actually talk to her about how I feel and how I appreciate her and all those things. And then the waterworks started for me as I'm like telling her afterwards, which was like, I did not expect that. Mm -hmm. I'm such a. Such a ninny, huh? Now, there are certain situations that are just uncontrollable. Wait till you have kids. Our Every single one of our children came out, and it was like the umbilical cord was attached to my tear ducts. <laughs> <laughs> as, as the baby came out, it just yanked on my tear ducts, and I just cried uncontrollably for a long Aww, time. That's adorable. Just what it is. All right. Shows you care. It's like nerves before a race. It shows you care. Maybe that's it. Well... Anyways, your your uh, handle today is bridesmaid, so I, you expect to be in the wedding party. I see. I don't care which side; I'll do whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have that. I'll be your ring girl, whatever. We can have that conversation later. Um, okay, we're recording. Uh, should we move on from from this kind of sharp transition into our topic? Yep. Unless there's anything else we want to catch the people up on. You cool with it? Drop to a knee and let's <laughs> wrap up this. This mini series. All right, let's do it. We're recording on Memorial Day, and I'm sure you got plans with the family. My family is going to be here to celebrate the engagement in like 45 minutes or an hour. Or so, um, so yeah, what is it? Part three of three in our mini series. We did the seven day uh, training cycle, then we followed that up with the 10 day training cycle. I think pretty informative if you're starting to get curious about. How to, you know, maybe consider reformulating your own training. I would suggest giving those a listen if you have not before this episode, um, just to sort of set the, the tone for today. But today's the 14-day training cycle, uh, which is the last that we're going to discuss. And this is the one where I think um, we could we could get, um, we could go very many different ways. And I'm very curious as to your take. So Bracken and I have not spoken about our takes on this one. And this, I think, is going to be the most subjective one of them all, the 14-day training cycle. I agree with that, especially because I don't even know what your definition of a 14-day cycle is. There's kind of like the cheater cycle, and then there's the like a 14-day cycle. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And I'm, I'm assuming you use both, and I use both. So I don't, I don't know. I'm interested. All right. Well, who wants to kick this off then? Because I can, I can open the conversation with the version that I use. Um, yes. And we can use that as a starting point. Do it. You're the man of honor. So <laughs> kick it off. Uh, here's the misleading thing, in my opinion. We're, we're kind of bait and switching you a little bit, in my opinion, with a 14-day training cycle. Because when I look at a 14-day training cycle... I really look at it two seven-day training cycles separately glued together, and then together they paint one big picture. So you could split the 14-day up into two seven-day cycles, but the idea of spreading it out over 14 is you're still getting in a little bit of varied stimulus that is required to stretch it out over 17 days, but really you could almost break them up into first half and second half. So... That's my first thing where I say like it's a little bit of a bait and switch in my opinion because I very much look at them as sevens sandwiched together. And I can explain that further, but that's my first take on the 14-day. And I want to hear your follow-up to that. 
That's the most common. That's the easiest because then you get to have the benefit of a more relaxed schedule. You get to really balance your equation on types of workouts, but you get to stick to society's Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Monday or however you like to look at your seven-day week on the calendar. So that is the easiest. It's the one, I mean, really, it's it's a seven-day repeated. It's like a microcycle. Just a, a two-week microcycle, extreme microcycle. Um, but it, it's it's the one that probably, of all the things we ever do, makes the most sense for the most athletes. It's all the benefits of the seven-day with some of the benefits of that nine- or ten-day. So, yeah, it's, it's a cheater 14-day cycle. So... I'm going to, I think I'm just going to lay it out with my major guiding principle on what I, when I think a 14 day cycle makes the most sense. And that runs on one foundational principle. If you want to abide by one rule with your endurance training and you hop on board with this theory is that a true long run is only needed once every two weeks. That's the guiding star. That would be the end of the 14 day cycle would be a true long run, let's say a three hour long run or a 20 mile long run on the roads or whatever it is, that's your last day on the cycle. And what happens is let's say that true long run is every other weekend. That's how, that's when the clock resets, right? So now we're talking a two week time period between long runs and then our cycle resets, right? And so then you must ask yourself, well, then what am I doing on that weekend? That isn't the long run. Well, there, it's a scaled back duration, but more intensity. So instead of three hours, maybe it's two hours or 90 minutes, but there's threshold intervals or fartlek style work or some sort of purpose in there. But then you're only hitting a traditional long run, or as you'll see on the running public plan, like easy long run with optional cut down every two weeks. So you're looking at, from that standpoint, um, the sustainability piece you touched on is pretty high with that. The durability piece, if you're somebody who maybe is injury prone or burnout prone, it's somebody who it can kind of extend your cycle longer by like not the pressure to go out and spend three hours every weekend on feet, but stretch that out over two. So the guiding star for me is pushing that one big long run to every other week. And that's the foundation, in my opinion, of when a 14 day training cycle makes sense. And I often prescribe that style for a lot of my athletes. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the single most common way of using this. It makes so much sense because most people don't have the ability physically to absorb long runs every week. And if they do, then they feel the pressure to add in quality on those weeks because you're doing a long run each week. Usually you can't cram quality into that long run if you're trying to hit it every single week. So now I have to add a second quality workout in there somewhere in addition to the long run and everything gets too crammed. So in this cycle, we're talking more of that two quality days per week. You might have a flex day in the middle, but you basically have quality one, quality two, quality three, quality four, which really breaks down to one, two, one, three. Let's say it's Tuesdays each week, one in one. We're going to call that Q1. They're going to be pretty similar to each other most of the time. There's going to be some sort of interval or threshold session. Session on the first Saturday is Q2. That's going to be more of a grindy session, some sort of tempo work, some sort of hill work, something that's quality but a little longer, and then a true long run as Q3 on the second Saturday. So you basically have week A and week B. And the first half of week A and B are pretty similar. And then they're just differentiated by how big you're swinging and how long you swing for on that Saturday long run. And it makes a lot of sense. It keeps people healthy. It allows you to get actual long work in. Because if you're going medium long or moderately long or slightly long a lot, you're missing out on some of that resistance to impact but you're getting a lot of repetition in. But if you just ensure, I'm only going to do it every 14 days, but I'm going to do it legit every time I do it, you never get too far from it, but you never get too down the rabbit hole and behind on recovery either. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, those are good points. And I had a, I had a marathoner come to me a couple of months ago, and she was newer. In her first like two years, she'd casually run her entire life, but not seriously, and decided she wanted to run marathons. And she hired a marathon coach, like a, an Instagram influencer type coach. 
we'll call it, which I guess I am too. I don't know, but I, I felt like that was just patronizing for some reason. I didn't mean it to be, but don't you dare. Kirk. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm, we can't go down that. I'm really offending you personally <laughs> with your uh, social media presence. But um, and she came to me and she's like, I need I keep getting injured. I can't sustain the training and I'm very frustrated and I stumbled on your guys podcast and yada, yada, you know the deal. And she was being prescribed long runs every single weekend. It was, I'm going to do a 17 mile long run and then an 18 and then a 19 and then a 20 and then a 21 and then a 22. And then I'm going to hold then back to 20 and 18 and then race day, whatever it was. And where she was at in her like tenureship with high level marathon training, like I don't know many people's bodies that would be ready for that. And some could call that miscoaching and, and I don't think it was by intent, but like just that alone, like long run expectations every weekend in a marathon build led to her being one completely burnt two injured constantly. And it's like, well, what's the first thing we should probably look at in your case. And this is a lot of people's cases, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to go to every other week on the long run for sure. And we're going to work on you just staying healthy because that's going to yield better results. And so a lot of times when people are newer to endurance training and everybody thinks that's the weekend long run, every weekend I got to go long and I got to put all this time on feet. Eh, I think if you're greener in the endurance space, and I mean like your first few years, I would say that that would be more uh, moderate to advanced level type stuff every single weekend. I don't do that every single weekend and I've been running my whole life. And so, um, even on that alone, like the injury free standpoint and building up to high mileage, if you're training for a marathon or an ultra, um, I think it holds a lot of merit just for that alone, just the long run principle of it alone. I agree. Okay. We haven't done analogies in a while, Kirk. By you, by we, you mean you. Yeah, but you, you usually start getting on board with that too. Suddenly like Bracken, I think I've got one today and then you (laughs) blow my socks off with how good it is. I got a bad one for you today. So I'm going to equate all of recovery of running and exercise to a house fire. All right? <laughs> that is a bad one. So the stingier, yeah, this is really bad. The stingier and more intense the exercise is, the more it's like a flash fire that starts hot and burns out real quick. So let's say you're in your kitchen and you have a grease fire. That's like spicy speed work. It's so aggressive and so quick, you notice it right away and you get it burnt you, you get it you get it extinguished real quick too. It doesn't burn for very long. It does some damage while it burns, but it's not taking your whole house down with it because you're aware of it and you're dumping something on it right away to get it done. So that's like speed work. And as a result, you can put that out, kind of rehab that kitchen while you go and maybe have another fire in the basement, a quick little one. And by the time you're done rehabbing that one, the kitchen's ready again. Now, this is a bad, this is a bad, bad analogy, but this is how it is. The faster it burns, generally the, like the quicker it lights up in a workout, the less you have to recover from it because you're not spending so much time doing it. The nastiest session of 400s, like 12 to 20 by 400, where you're really working hard, isn't all that much accumulated work. It destroys you so much while you're doing it that you have to stop. But within 72 to 96 hours, you could do it all again and repeat that for weeks and weeks and weeks before you start to really burn out. But the long quality run is like burning your house down completely. It may not have erupted so quickly, but by the time the fire's done, it's most of the house is affected. And even though it wasn't as bright at any one point as that grease fire was when it just flared up like crazy, it takes a long time to get the house back in order until you can burn it down again. You just you would have to rebuild all the way up. So again, bad analogy, but that's how the these running workouts are where we really dread these short spicy ones, but you can do them pretty often. A long run requires that you really do rebuild the house well before you do it again, or you're just not going to get much out of that next burn. Like you don't even have the roof on back in the second floor. You're just, it's, there's not much to burn the second time. Whereas you can rehab that, the singe in that on your tile behind your grease fire really quickly. You just slap up some new tile and you're good. That's how our body recovers from these things. The spicier they are, the shorter they are, which means counterintuitively, the less recovery they need before you do it again. That's why you can do two to three quality sessions a week, but you don't hear people doing two to three long run quality sessions a week. 
That's just not really what happens. So those big 20, 22 mile runs, three to four hours, doing them every single week, eventually you're not, you don't have a foundation to burn down anymore because you haven't been able to rebuild in time. That wasn't a bad analogy. You were using a, a scary example to make a good analogy. I don't even know if it's logical, but sometimes we fear the bright burn of a workout. And mentally, you may not be ready to go through it again. But physically, you can go through it again in a few days. Long runs. If you went out and did 22 with 10 hard at the end, two or three days later, you don't want to do that again. And if you do, now you're out of commission for two weeks. Yeah, and not like we need to go down this long run rabbit hole at all, but it's where my mind first goes, like with the guiding principle of the 14 day. Mm -hmm. And on top of what you just said, which I think is a good analogy that paints a clear picture, is time on feet is time on feet. I really feel this as far as taking impact goes. Like, yeah, the sting of 400s, let's say you do 20 of them. It's five miles worth of impact. A long run of, let's say, 20 miles is still four times that. And whether you go hard or you go slow and easy, your feet are absorbing and hitting the ground that many more times, and it takes that much longer to structurally recover. Forget about aerobic output or metabolic output, which you can also make that argument, but just from a durability and destruction standpoint, like you've just bared your own body's load repetitively way much way more and way much longer that like easy or hard long run doesn't matter that damage sits in your legs a lot longer i'm just backing up your point and so even if there isn't quality in it sure you won't suffer some metabolic or systemic type like recovery like depleted glycogen levels and having to refuel and carb up and resaturate and all that stuff it's like, yeah, like your body just put in 30,000 steps of running in your long run. No kidding that your tendons and ligaments are going to be a little beat up and your knee issue might flare up and your feet hurt a little bit because your shoes are worn out. Like that's the stuff that gets you that like that slow nagging thing that just like doesn't go away. And so, um, I very much agree with you on like a number of levels, but mostly just like time on feet, whether it's quality or not, like some people you just can't get away with doing that every seven days. Yeah. And, th- and people will argue that point slightly. I, there's this big emphasis on uh, like the force production and an impact on your, on your body. The faster and harder you run, the more you're producing into the ground, which is true. Mm-hmm. But the opposite end needs to not just be ignored, which is the slower you run, generally, the longer your ground contact so the longer your muscles are under contraction for, and the less your whole body is tensed and waiting for the impact. The difference between sprinting and jogging is like the difference between bracing for a hit and taking it when you're not a, not ready for it. Like if, if, if we tensed up our stomach and said, all right, Kirk, we're going to hit each other in the stomach, that hard, fast punch would leave a bruise or some damage on the muscle, but it wouldn't it wouldn't rock our body because we'd be ready for it. But if you weren't paying attention and I even just like, lightly tapped your diaphragm i might knock the wind out of you and that's how long runs are you can't stay like perfectly in line embraced and have your glutes and your hips and everything absorbing so much of the load you tend to sink into your stride a little bit you slow down your stride a little bit and as a result everything gets worn down in a long run where when you're running 20 by 400 you're running well you're you're getting off the ground really quickly and your whole chain is absorbing so yeah you're producing more force but it's being divided equally. Where in the long run, you just sometimes some people slap the ground for three hours, right? And so that part doesn't get talked about as much. Like sprinting's dangerous. Yeah, it is. But you know, you generally don't hear about sprinters getting stress fractures as much as you do ultra runners or marathoners. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Or just take like think of the idea. Um, yes, harder pacing is typically probably more damaging because the return, like you're putting in and the return is a little higher. At the same time, if I go run mile repeats and let's say I'm running five minutes per repeat, maybe I'm taking a thousand strides in a mile. Yeah. Whereas if I'm out for my long run and I'm running seven minute pace for three hours, I might be taking 1200 strides in a mile. That's 200 more strides per mile. So maybe the force per stride is a little less, but I'm also doing 200 more strides every single mile. 
So that also yeah. is very damaging as well when you slow down. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I run with other people who are notably slower than me, like sometimes that ain't good for me either. Like my legs start to be like, they don't feel good running this slow because of my ground contact time and the, the exactly what you had mentioned. So I guess we don't need to like get too far into that, but I very much agree with your take. Yeah, I think it is important to understand why we want to space out the long run for some people. Because speed work your body self limits you. It's not like I can just tough my way through lactate. Like, no, it's overload. You're done. Yep. Or your soleus can't handle running on your toes for that long. You're done. Mm -hmm. Long run. If you're mentally tough enough, you can just slap the ground for three hours. Right. <laughs> and if you're cramping at a slow pace, you can work it out and keep running. If you start to twinge on a, on a speed rep, you, you generally are just done. So People can be too tough for their own good until they have the skill of running. So yep. we, I think we've cemented that. We've nailed it. I want to talk about the other thing, the other factor that you could use to determine this. And this is if you have um, kind of like that X factor in training where you need something else that rounds out your training. So it might be hybrid work. It might be sled work. It might be extreme downhill work. It might be compromised running, something that you need to add that third ingredient rather than just interval and tempo or interval tempo, long, long run, um, that, that third or fourth ingredient, but you don't need it all the time. Instead of the long run being that every other, that third ingredient, that X factor can be that every other week. Mm. So you might see it with high rocks athletes or, or uh, triathletes or something like that, where every other week you have to combine it in a bigger way or in a sport specific way. That's another time or people that just need, I need one every two weeks to run extremely technical rock scrambles. I can't really do that on interval days. I can't really do, I can't really tempo that, but I just need a skill day. That skill day is another Less less occurring in our sports world generally than needing the long run. But that's the other time that I'll use this plan with people is every other week we're just doing that one skill thing that we have to stay brushed up on, but we don't want to do it every week or we're just cutting into our time that we should spend on the actual engine building. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, um, let's say you're a hybrid athlete and also running traditional run races or care about your run metrics. Maybe one week you do go hit two to three hours on the roads or in the mountains getting in just straight up solid time on feet. And then the next week, and I did a lot of this in my pseudo injury days, is maybe you are still going two hours, but you're doing a a row, run, erg, assault bike, wall ball, conglomerate, long effort that you go for mm -hmm. two hours, but maybe only four miles of that's running, but the rest is spent on the skill work of hybrid. That Those are very effective hybrid training sessions, like the long hybrid run, so to speak, where you're intermixing everything with purpose. And I assume that's part of maybe that could be an option of what you're outlining, um, which is very effective. Yeah. Anything that shouldn't be a weekly ingredient, but you can't lose touch with. So for me right now, it's long hill reps. Every two to three weeks, something two hours or longer going up and down hills so I don't lose the skill of running downhill or that resistance to impact. But it can't be a weekly part of my routine because there's just no space for it. Yep. Do you want to split hairs on that a little more? Or did you say what you have to say about that? Yeah, let's round piece? this out and then do the other side. Okay. No, let's just break down what the weeks would look like. Then. Okay. Well, the other thing about the the one that I wanted to toss to you, and I know um, you run this principle and you agree, and you'll see this on our running public training plan as well, but um, is so in a sense, in a 14-day cycle, how I break it down or look at it is, all right, well, I need to get in a flat overspeed training session. I also need to get in an uphill quality session or an up downhill quality mm -hmm. session. I need to do a midweek long run that maybe I get on some trails. It's not a true long run, but I get to get some vert and some technical terrain. And I also want to get in, let's say a midweek long run that has some carries or some skill work in it. Instead of being like, how can I do an uphill workout? A quality session, an uphill quality session, a flat quality session, some sort of threshold. Like, how do I get all of that stuff into one week? It's impossible. 
it allows you to just cut, get into this bigger, like two week cycle where you can go every other, which almost all my athletes are going to be like nodding their head. Like, Oh yeah, this sounds familiar. It's like, sure. Guess what? Tuesday this week's a flat mm-hmm. session with good turnover. And guess what Tuesday next week is an uphill quality session. And it allows you to go every other spread it out and allow you to keep a really balanced training without trying to cram too much into one week or feel like something is missing. If you have a bigger master plan that's stretched out over a long time, I think that's very effective to do so. So you basically work opposing skills each of the two weeks in your quality sessions and your midweek long runs. So for example, let's say Tuesday is a flat speed session. Well, your Thursday midweek long run would be a a long run in which your midweek long run would be going to chase a little vert, whether it's on your treadmill or local ski hill. Then the next week, you'll go do some uphill work on Tuesday, quality session, and then your Thursday will be flatter midweek long run. So you're just looking at like a stretched out seven day cycle, kind of inverted back and forth. And so that's how, from like a framework standpoint, how I structure in general. And I know you do the same thing because we make plans together. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we talk about when we say balancing the equation. Like Tuesday is going to be somewhere between 5k and 15k interval based engine building efforts. We're talking 5k effort or pace to 15k effort or pace right around VO2 max to right around threshold for most people. We're working on that on Tuesdays, but on the A week, we're doing it flat and on B week, we're doing on race terrain. Now for some people that means flat in Hills. For some people that means smooth road, technical trail. For some people that means I'm doing it clean on Mondays, just intervals or sorry, on Tuesdays, a week intervals. And on B week, I'm doing compromised intervals, but that the theory of each workout is the same. We're working on this prescribed engine, but how we implement it is on A week, we do it one week. B, we balance the equation. We do the other skill necessary. And then same thing on, on your Saturdays with the long efforts. Same thing on your skill work in the middle of the week. When I first saw this, it was coming out of college, trying to figure out what all the pro training groups are doing. And looking at, it was actually the Nike Oregon project at the time that Alberto Salazar was running. And Galen Rupp and Mo Farah were the stars of the group. And they had A week, B week that they would repeat for up to 10 cycles. They would do 20 week cycles, take a few weeks down, do another 20 week cycle, a few weeks down. And oftentimes those few weeks down coincided with championship season. So they were doing two 40 or two 20 week blocks per season. And they would do these couplets, these A week, B week. And on one week, they did long intervals as their main set. I'm I'm really, really oversimplifying. This isn't exactly what they do. But say they did two-mile tempo into five-by-mile into two-mile tempo on the A week on Tuesday. On B week, they might do 20 by 200. So they're doing long reps on one week, short reps on the next week. And then the next... Uh, let's say Thursday's session, they were doing, if they had just done long reps, they did threshold intervals. Maybe they'd do six to eight by mile at threshold. And then the next week they would do a 40 to 60 minute tempo instead. So one week they're doing long intervals, short tempo. Next week they're doing short intervals, long tempo. And then they'd have their long runs on the weekend where they would do quality throughout it. But they were balancing the equation and it made a lot of sense. And they were so just boring with their schedule a week b week repeat throughout that it was easy to see exactly what they were trying to accomplish and why and it made a ton of sense to me and that's what i started using my first year in ocr to prepare for the 2012 spartan world championships was i had a week and b week and a week was speed and hills and b week was compromised running and flat long run and that's basically what I did for 26 weeks building out to Killington it was very much because of that Nike Oregon project Alberto Salazar, for all of his flaws that he has, he's now kicked out of sport, but he was willing to post his training with his athletes online, and I was able to learn from that. So that's where this all really started, was back in late 2011, early 2012, reading up on what other people were doing to balance their equations, and then trying to transcribe it over to the sport of OCR. Do you think we're trying to be too cute by making it a, by saying it's a 14 day cycle, or do you believe it's a 14 day cycle? Like I could see somebody listening being like, it's just a seven day cycle. It's just two different seven day cycles or without, without the long run theory, 
without the like true quality long run theory, does this just become another seven day cycle? Are we trying to be cute or do we believe it's a true 14 day cycle? That's a genuine question. I got to imagine one or two people are listening going like, okay, what is this really? Yeah, it's a valid question. But we talked about a few weeks ago how it's important to understand the purpose of every workout so that you know what you're trying to get out of it and when not to push too much or when not to overstep your boundaries. I think labeling it as a microcycle or A week, B week is very important to the athlete executing the schedule or the coach writing it because you understand that the purpose of A is to be balanced out by B. And the purpose of C is to be balanced out by D. If you're talking about four different workouts throughout two weeks, that way I nail the premise of A and I don't worry that I didn't touch the skill of B because it's happening next week. So I think it's very important to understand that my work is done for this cycle when I complete my 14th day, not when I complete any one day throughout there. They must balance each other out. And yes, you could be pedantic and say that doesn't matter. It's a seven-day week and then another seven, and you're just changing the emphasis. But we as humans, we feed off and we, we need to have these rules in our lives. Otherwise, we start tinkering with it. We start thinking we know better and we can find a better way. I think the 14-day name actually matters. I agree with you. You have a really good answer. <laughs> I not, not if I'm listening at home like, oh, yeah, he's right. It's totally a four. They're not being too cute. This is totally legit. These guys know their stuff. That's what I'd be thinking at home if I just heard your little speech there. Way to go. And then what it leads to. Mm -hmm. It leads to four and six week macro cycles. And then you time trial or race. Oh, now you're going to muddy the waters. You hit that couplet week once, twice, and then maybe a third time. And now you've seen a progression of workouts through and you can test or race. But if you don't have them paired into twos, you end up overworking a skill. And sometimes you just insert something wherever you want it. And then you look back over the course of your week and say, I always start on a week, but more often than not, I'm testing at the end of an a week because I feel good coming off of my shorter intervals. And so I go a B a test. And then I go a B a, and you realize that you've now lost 30% of available workout time on B weeks. So I think keeping them coupled together avoids unintentional loss of training time. That's something that I've unintentionally done myself and seen other people do. Yeah, there's a couple of things that you have to be aware of with this. We brought it up with the 10-day cycle last week, which is like if you're somebody who likes to see nice high even mileage week in and week out, then the 10 day cycle might be tough for you because your long run is going to fall every week and a half. And one week you might be at 40 miles and the next at 60. And it looks like it's all over the place on paper. And that's hard for your OCD, which it's okay. We all have a little of that in us. Well, the 14 day cycle is also somewhat similar in the sense, if you follow that long run principle that like, yeah, one week, your mileage is going to be a little bit not notably higher. It's almost going to look like every other week you're going high, low or higher, a little lower you got to be yep. okay with that on paper. It's not going to make a pretty graph, we will call it. You know, like the famous, like, I run 120-mile-a-week marathoners every single week, and they got this flat graph on Strava that just looks like, dude, this person's so consistent. Your graph's going to be up, down, up, down, up, down. It's going to look like what's going on a here. Psychopath. Yeah, psychopath. Yeah, psychopath, sure. Um, but you know the guiding, the, the one thing that I think you have to ask yourself uh, if you're going to do a 14 day training cycle is, do you believe that touching a skill as the sole focus of your workout every 14 days is enough? You have to say, am I comfortable knowing I'm only hitting fast, flat turnover once every 14 days? Do I believe that's enough stimulus for my body to respond the way I want it to? Do I believe a long run only in quotes, every 14 days is actually going to move the needle best for me. Do I believe in the physiological principles of touching a system every two weeks is going to be enough, right? And that's like, am I even going to have the confidence in that type of training to be like, I only ran fast twice this month. And by fast, I mean like overspeed training, true overspeed training with high recovery. And is that going to be enough for you? Is hitting a true threshold focus workout 
uh, on flat terrain every two weeks going to leave you with the confidence that you need to show up on race day, let alone do you believe that that's enough stimulus for your body of that specific skill? And so that's what people really need to wrestle with with the 14-day. And now here's the deal. All of these paths cross. Like if you're working threshold uphill or you're working threshold flat, systemically your body's going to get the same adaptations on like a metabolic level, right? But ask yourself, Mm -hmm. like, can I touch flat track fast work every two weeks or do I need it every week to feel like myself? And so I I really believe in the 14-day cycle because it's worked for me because that's generally what I run myself. Um, is to like a weeks and B weeks, let's call it. But like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you believe Bracken physiologically? Like, what does the body do? Go back to Fred Clary, who hits huge strength workouts every twenty days. He'll hit like here's my bench focus workout once every three weeks, but he destroys himself, and then does smaller versions of that in the meantime. Mm-hmm. For example, does that principle apply to the endurance world? Is once every two weeks enough? That's what I'm asking. A, it depends on the skill. But B, Kirk, I am that person that constantly looks at a training plan and I am not comforted by the frequency I see. But there are ways, and again, if we talk about our online training program, the people who are on it are going to be seen saying, well, you guys haven't mentioned the speed sprinkles you put in yet. Exactly. And that's exactly what, what I'm going to talk about now is you don't have to do full workouts. If you're hitting, let's say, flat ground intervals a week, uphill intervals B week on B week, my midweek long run starts or contains speed sprinkles flat. Now I'm not doing a full speed workout that day, but I might be doing four to six by 200 to cap off my, my easy run. Now I've touched speed. It's enough reps to not lose the skill, but I'm not compromising the flow of the week and recovery because I'm not doing 12 to 20 by 200. I'm just doing four to six to finish off my 60 to 70 minute run. And so now I can look at that schedule and say, visually, I see flat speed represented every week. Even though it's not a full workout there, I can feel that that's going to be enough. And then when I get to that workout and I still feel good running those 200s because I just did a real workout the week before and then I have another one coming up the next week, mentally I can rest assured and physically feeling good that I still feel good running fast, turning over, I'm getting more efficient and I'm also not beat up. So adding in the skill sprinkles to your midweek long run or somewhere in your week is huge. We do it with our OCR plan. Every week has an OCR component. Even if we're doing, let's say this week, I think they do three by 10 minute flat threshold intervals with no compromise component. Then you're getting your 12, 400 workout on Thursday where it's an aerobic uh, workout. You don't exceed your, your your aerobic threshold at any moment, but you're running 1200 easy, doing a 400 meter moderate carry, and then back into it. You get a 60 minute medium long run out of it, but you have the skill of carrying a heavy weight during it. So we balancing out little sprinkles of either skill or speed or technical ground or hill work, whatever your extra component is that you can't sleep at night thinking you haven't done enough of. That right there is the secret to keeping people like myself, the tinkerers and the warriors of the world, keeping them happy. Yeah. And then you can get into the conversation of finishers, which is a whole nother box to open, right? To mm-hmm. That we've talked about, I think, plenty on previous episodes over the years. Um, but the key point here, and I'm glad you brought this up, is that we're talking about the focus of the workouts, meaning like the true focus of the workout is flat speed this week, for example. But that doesn't mean there can't be a secondary polisher two days later on the next workout. But when we say it's like, we're all in on this type of running for quality workout in week A, and then this type of running and quality workout in B. But what we're not addressing is exactly what you outlined, which would be the the little sprinkles to keep those skills sharp along the way. We're just talking about the big pillars of the weeks alternating. So you get everything in and then you fill the details in the cracks the way you talked about. There's always a way. It it could be as simple as, you know, uphill intervals on a Tuesday or mountainous or terrain type intervals on a Tuesday that are long and grindy and uphill. And then guess what? 
in your long run or your quality long run that week, maybe you're doing super quick minute on efforts with three minutes, like moderate in between. Well, with three minutes moderate or recovery in between a one minute hard effort in the middle of like a long run, you're going to run pretty dang fast for that minute. And thus you have your speed training, what, four days later in your long run. And so you're actually still, you can find ways to touch pretty much every skill, even with purpose every single week. It just allows you more room to play, to be honest. And actually I would, I would almost argue you could touch skills even more frequently in a 14 day cycle than like a seven day cycle because it spreads it out. Yeah. I think, I think that nicely wraps up what two seven day cycles, how they combine into a 14 day training cycle. I think that, that, that puts a bow on it. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um, no, I think the one thing we would need to talk about real quick, just people are probably still scratching their head a little bit saying, okay, I get it. I'm going to go for a true long run every two weeks. Yeah. But what about that middle week? Like, what does that other weekend look like then? Like, what is that Saturday? Maybe if we just give that a little more lip service, the the Saturday that isn't the, okay, I get it. I can put my shoes on and go run for three hours. That's easy, moderate, whatever. That's great. I understand the long run, but that, that middle, that middle pseudo long runner, what, what do we do there? That's what I think we should just chat out. I mean, the easy answer, it's whatever you would normally do on your Saturday. If it was just a regular seven day schedule, or if you're doing the nine day and you have, Let's say you have your nine day where you go speed work, tempo work, long run are your three pillars. It's whichever one you haven't done. It's that opposite. We're spending your Tuesdays working on the same type of skill. One Saturday is really long. The other one is that other thing you haven't worked on. Usually it's going to be tempo based, threshold based, hill based, something like that. Maybe combining the two hilly tempos, things like that. That's what happens on that day. It's not generally short and spicy. It's not generally the longest. It's that middle ground work. Yep. Let's say your long run. We're using this as an example, like a three-hour true long run to cap off your 14-day cycle. Maybe you're the Saturday previously, so like day seven of the plan might be 90 minutes to two hours total, right? It's maybe half to two-thirds of the duration of your long run, but there's some quality components sprinkled in there. Um is what I would just, if I'm mm -hmm. going to generalize what that non-long run week would look like. Half to three quarters duration with quality is what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep. Exactly. Cool. All right. Then there's the other piece, the true cycle rather than just splitting two weeks into A and B that we don't have to spend a lot of time talking on this. It's the extension of the nine day. And it turns it into a 12-day or a 14 or a 15-day cycle. With the nine-day cycle, remember, we had workout one, two days recovery, workout two, two days recovery, and then workout three, two days recovery. And then sometimes we took a full off day and then repeated what we were doing. So you have three quality sessions and you repeat those three. Sorry to interrupt, but really you're talking that third workout traditionally would be a long run or a quality long run on that, correct? Generally, yeah, okay. or your sports specific, whatever. Okay. Now with the 12 day or 14 or 15, however you want to talk about it, it's that same schedule, but with one extra round of the schedule. So one on, two off, one quality, two off, one quality, two off, and then a fourth huge one. Mm. That's often how like a triathlete might use something like this. So this even gets splits into a couple of weeks. So you might go speed workout. Tempo workout, speed workout, huge workout. Now you've got, that's a 12-day cycle, and you might take two full days off, and you're at 14. Tell me what a huge workout is. What's a huge workout? What does that mean? Huge workout. Race sim day, three to, three to five-hour mountain run, full high rock sim, uh, huge brick work. It could be a race. Uh, a training race, something like that, but something really long, really quality, something that it could be time trialing, something to cap off your block. Okay. So speed, tempo, speed, big. And then next round, tempo, speed, tempo, big. And so you're hitting these three qualities each time with a fourth like pillar workout, tent post workout, something that's really going to anchor that block down and test things together or go really long or race or something like that. And because you're doing three in between, it gives you variability. So speed, tempo, speed one time, tempo, speed, tempo the next, or speed, compromise, speed the first one, compromise, speed, compromise the next. 
It's just extending that nine or 10 day into one more cycle of that and then giving extended rest at the end to really absorb it. And you'll see triathletes do these. Triathletes will do a somewhere between a 12 and a 20 day block and they'll really overwork volume for a bunch of it. And then they'll take significant downtime and then repeat again. Some of the uh, some of the top triathletes in the world will do massive 14 to 20 day cycles where they just roll through that pattern of workouts and then really recover for half a week to a week after and then go back through again. You'll hear guys say, oh, I'm in the middle of a 20 week of just, I mean, a 20 day week is just really, really intense right now. I just got to get to the end of it. Big training blocks like that deserve big rest at the end. So that's like the true 14 day cycle but it's very difficult to implement. It's really reserved for ultra long course triathlon, people who don't have day jobs, people who have access to labs, people who are really balancing overtraining with recovery. Yeah. And you got to be, I mean, the intent is to go big on that last big session, big enough in which requires like probably the next day off of running maybe the following day off or an easy recovery cross training session before you jump into your next cycle, which yeah. begins with easy running again, before you hit your next quality. Um, the, the truth behind that one is, um, yes, it might almost sound like nice. Like, Oh, I get to deload really hard. I basically, I, I hit 12 days with purpose and then I get two recovery type days to reset. But on that cycle, a big hammer swing like that every two weeks. Like if you're talking, let's say a seven hour brick workout for like an Ironman triathlete where they're run, run and biking alternating, for example. Um, like some of that stuff is like, eventually if you run enough of those two week cycles, even with that really big recovery afterwards, like those can be hard to hard to dig yourself out of that hole too. So it's, it's, that's not a beginner's plan is what I'm saying. That is definitely that advanced plan. It's the version of the plan of the seven day cycle where we talked about doing a quality workout on a Tuesday, another quality workout on a Friday, and then following your Friday up with the long run every week, that stimulus is not meant for the, mm -hmm. the newbies. And this would be the same thing, like very effective, but after a few of these cycles, recovery from huge hammer swings can be pretty tough. And so you got to have some years of uh, time on feet. We'll call it to do this. I think effectively. Yeah, I think there's three things to keep in mind. That's one of them. You have to have a massive body of work behind you because you're trying to overload your system for as long as possible before giving it full rest. And that brings up number two, it requires tech to be able to do this. Most of these pro training groups who are running these are running that 20-ish that day cycle because they've realized they can track their internal metrics and 20 days is about all you can sustain. 14 to 20 days of really intense overloading training before you must back off. Anything more and you're not going to absorb the work. Anything less and you might as well do a shorter cycle. Uh, and then the third thing, please keep in mind that a high percentage of the best endurance athletes in the world are using synthetic elements of what we're naturally producing uh, in order to sustain these training loads. So just because you see some of these people doing 20 to 30 hour weeks and overloading massively and then recovering, which seems at superhuman rates, um, it's because they are and they are using drugs to accomplish this work. So that's why we prefer the nine day cycle because it's like the everyman's. This is why we prefer two seven-day schedules, the 14, because it's the everyman's version where you can not rely on a lab or injections in order to handle the workload, and you can still have a normal life on top of it. You think that many people are doping, Bracken, these days? You think a lot of people are trying to stay ahead of it? You think? <sighs> what was the number? There were 24... Uh, Africans caught in the first half of this year. There were something like six U.S. sprinters. We've had four or five distance runners. Uh, so just from our two countries, which are two of the more dominant, we've had upwards of 40 athletes caught in 2023. So how many world-class athletes are there? If, though, if they caught every single dirty athlete, that's still like 10% of them. Yeah. If they caught every single one. So I don't want to be like a doom and gloom guy, but yeah, 
I mean, it's not just at the top, it's every level. You walk in your local gym and people are juicing up like crazy. But if it's a sport or any sort of activity played by humans, there's going to be cheating. That's just what it is. And the cheating in endurance sports takes the form of drugs. I don't have a strong opinion on it. I just know ever since Lance Armstrong broke my damn heart, I try to just look away, Bracken. Try to look away. Cycling's the great example. After Lance became famous for cheating and they finally decided we can't shut the door on it anymore, the rumor is they went back and retested. I don't know if it was 2009 or whatever. They retested the tour blood samples they had saved with modern technology and i think they made it 36 athletes deep there's no winner of the tour de france for seven years yeah they have seven years of none and they made it 36 athletes deep before they found a clean athlete and that clean athlete was more of we can't for sure say they were cheating we just know that they weren't doing what the other guys were so it is bad it's probably not that bad in every sport but yeah it's there yeah you know it's bad when they go that deep and they can't even declare. They can't roll down. Well, Lance, you're disqualified, so we'll give the winner of the tour to second place because second place was on dope too, and third and 35th and 36th. It's wild. Wild. <laughs> yeah. What do you do there? Okay, well, and then on top of, okay, drugs, you know, um, the athletes can focus on. They got massage and PT and everything in between, let's say they're clean, which I'm hoping most are. Daily naps. Right. It's it's very different game. Yeah, so totally different. Um okay, what else do you want to dive into? Uh what else do you want to dive into with this? I know sometimes we'll leave listeners with as many questions as answers. This might be the blurriest training cycle of them all. Do, do you wanna dive into anything else with it or how satisfied are you? You might have it looks like you might have something in the chamber still. No, no, I, I don't actually. I think that if anything comes out of this, athletes either felt like one really called to them or they felt really confused by it. If one called to you, try it. If you're really confused by it, message us. It's <laughs> fair. And if you uh, were thinking of maybe doing a focus more on mini series where we sort of dive into specific topics and spread them out over multiple weeks, for example, with our training cycles we have just done, it's a... Uh, I figure, you know, the podcasts I listen to, I like when they do mini series and it keeps me engaged and we can actually start splitting hairs. And I think that's why we all come to specific podcasts like The Running Public. It's because we want to get into the weeds. I don't think you'd listen to a podcast about running if you mm -hmm. didn't. So let us know if you want us to continue down the mini series route. We have some thoughts on future episodes, but um curious to know what the listeners think because you guys are the ones that matter. Well, they're going to get it whether they like it or not, because we have another mini series starting up next Tuesday. That's that's true. Why do I even ask if I already we already have made up our minds? We can stop after that one, but we've got one in the chamber already. Sure do. Well, I have a day of celebrating and hanging out. What are you doing with the rest of your Memorial Day? Doubling. Oh, nice. I'm in training camp mode right now, Kirk, so d doubles every day, prepping for Palmerton. I love that you're telling people what you're racing. That's not a, I wasn't a common thing for a while with you, so I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to make it that more embarrassing if I oh, stop don't it. show up on the start line. You knock it but, off. But, hey, I'm putting it out there into the universe. I've already signed up for it. I have six more weeks of uh, prep for it. We're in full training camp mode here. All we can do is show up now. That's That's exactly it. If you keep showing up, good things happen. That is the truth. I'm just going to say one thing, the theme of my training plan, because I'm going in on this, but not in a crazy fashion. So the theme of these six, these six weeks, <laughs> these six weeks, these six weeks, split tempos, Kirk. Ooh, I like it. How does that hit you? Hits me right in the sweet spot. Makes me feel a little tingly. I did a split tempo on Saturday and was just reaffirmed with how good split tempos are especially right now for someone like myself who shouldn't be doing too long of an effort on any one modality right now the split tempo is allowing me to be race specific and safe side tangent so i prescribe workouts and sometimes i call yeah. them a tempo sandwich okay if i gave you a workout <laughs> That's and 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 I called it the tempo sandwich, but you never looked at the workout yet. You just knew it was called a tempo sandwich. 
Would the temple be the bread on the outsides or the meat in the middle? When I first heard it, I thought tempo something tempo because that's how I split tempo. I was thinking split tempo. You split it in half and put something in the middle. But a ham sandwich does not have ham buns on it. <laughs> it does not. So a tempo sandwich would be something tempo something. Agreed, which is how I prescribe it. But I didn't know if that was misleading. I used to call that tempo in the middle. Tempo, tempo sandwich is much more fun. That's deceiving because it it's not as good as a sandwich, believe it or not. Like an actual sandwich. It's, it disappoints, you know. Split tempos never disappoint. So I have four styles of split tempo that I have repeating on really a 14-day. I'm using a 14-day right now. Hmm. So Wednesday, Saturday workouts, tempo A, tempo B, tempo C, tempo D, and then repeat that block. I like it. And then repeat it again. Well, go get that double in then. Get that done. I'm going to go relax the rest of the day. Enjoy it. Enjoy the lake life. Enjoy the engaged life. Have fun with the family. Thanks, dude. You enjoy sweating, being manly. I always do. Mm-hmm.